0: we grow and produce food is ever-changing, shaped by consumers and the climate in which we live and farm. Research at all points of our food system is essential for continuously improving food's journey from farm to table. The Manitoba Agriculture and Food Knowledge Exchange explores timely research innovations and applications that make our food system better than ever. Join us for today's podcast.
1: Hi everyone, my name is Laura Telford and I am the organic specialist with the government of Manitoba and I'm pleased to be here today with Dr. Martin Enns at the University of Manitoba. And I'm just gonna ask Martin a few questions. So let's get started. Martin?
0: Yeah. Well yeah, thanks very much, Laura. Yeah, I'm Martin Enns. I'm at the University of Manitoba as Laura has indicated and uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Okay,
1: um, so Martin, you started the the organic uh, rotation crop rotation trials at Glen Lee way back in 1992. What what are the most important lessons that you would have for organic farmers based on this long term study?
0: Okay, thanks for that question. This is a big question because it's such a big study. So I, you know, our conversation will kind of loop de loop in a few different places, and maybe I'll have some sort of follow-up questions for you to see if you want to elaborate on anything but uh, the Glenley rotation was first started to compare what we called sustainable systems with the conventional system. So back in the late 1980s there was a lot of uh, interest in this idea of sustainable development. So the Glenley study started out with a whole bunch of different cropping systems, organic, also pesticide free and fertilizer free and conventional. After 12 years, we just simplified the study to only look at conventional and organic, just out of economic reasons, we couldn't maintain all those sites. So, but back to your question, the lessons, uh, there's a million little lessons and those have been communicated by bringing farmers to the site, bringing agronomists to the site, bringing students to the site, and teaching them about uh, weed management, about what nutrient management systems work, what, which ones don't work. So we've learned that integrated systems work, and simple organic systems where we don't really pay much attention to things like bringing nutrients into the system, they don't work. So those are some of the big lessons. In fact, I'm just writing a a chapter on our crop livestock integrated system at Cleanly, which involves um, alfalfa for a couple of years and then uh, a couple of grain crops, wheat and uh, another one. It could be flax. It could be a different crop. And that system has been really successful. It has really good soil health. It has very good productivity, it has high yields, it has good quality, it has high micronutrient levels in the crops. So that just illustrates that it is possible to organize a productive, soil-healthy, environmentally healthy organic system. The questions that people ask when they come to Glen Lee, they they first of all want to see an organic system. A lot of agronomists, they've never seen an organic farming system. So that's that's one of the first things. And they are also really interested in all the machinery that we have there. Machines that are specific to organic production, like our robotic weeder, and uh, our different uh, finger weeders, and our comb cut, blade roller, all these things that agronomists don't really know about. So I guess that would be another important lesson. We just introduce people to this whole other world. And they go, this is more sophisticated than I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was just kind of, you know, organic by default. We just don't do things, and then somehow, miraculously, Mother Nature comes in and makes it all work. And we go, no, no, you need management, and you need tools. And the big tools that we avoid uh, are pesticides and synthetic fertilizers. So that's always a really great conversation. Yeah, the- I
1: think it, people always forget that um, researchers are farmers, too. You know, when you do field trials, you're actually out there working the field, managing weeds, just like farmers are.
0: Yeah, and that leads me to one other important lesson is how it taught us as researchers and our technical staff to do a better job. Uh, Keith Bamford worked with me for many years and, you know, he learned how to become a good organic farmer in the, you know, through the research. And so we, we didn't do as well organic farming in the first 10 years as we have done in the last 10 years for that exact reason. Now I have a new technician Sarah Wilcott who looks after it and she's been at it for 3 years and you know she's gotten really much better at it and so there's that learning period. And I get out there on the tractor as well because some things that you know when I have new people coming in I just have to teach them how I've learned it to do it as a, as an organic crop manager. But you make a really good point. And we want the place to look good. Like if, if, you know, every year I go, I hope the organic plots, I hope all the plots look good, because I know people are going to come visit. There's always problems. And so at least if we can explain them, that's helpful.
1: There's always solutions too.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's new solutions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things that we started doing is growing organic varieties of wheat in the organic plots and sticking with the semi-dwarf conventional varieties in the conventional plots and that's actually made a bit of a difference. You know, that's a solution that a lot of researchers don't want to don't want to embrace because uh, then you're starting to compare apples and oranges. But we're comparing two different systems, so we have to do that.
1: Okay, thanks for that. You've given us a good background about what's been going on at Glen Lee all these years. Um, over the same period, you've also developed relationships and have act, been actively seeking out and working with organic farmers across the prairie and even in other parts of the the country tree. Um, have you observed any major positive or even negative changes in organic management practices over, over the years?
0: I have. And one thing that I've observed is there's good number of organic farmers that apply intensive management to their system, monitoring their system for things like not only soil nutrient levels, but, you know, the profitability of individual crops I've noticed that farmers are increasing the precision of their operations. For example, seeding equipment has improved a great deal. The no-till revolution took us to a lot of wide-row machines that were very dependent on herbicides, and they work extremely well in a herbicide-based system. When farmers switched to organic and used those same machines, I think they... There was some disappointment in some of their weed control, and uh, some farmers have changed the type of seeding equipment they've used to be specific to organic. That's something that never came to my mind, really, at the beginning of all of this. So we're seeing drills that can even seed the rows, you know, four, five, six inches apart, and that does make a difference. certainly seen a, a change in the way farmers market their organic grains. There's probably from what I hear, you know, just a little bit more reliability of the markets. And uh, so uh, that does, has maybe led to a bit more specialization as well, which may be uh, a bit of a concern. If your rotation is not diverse enough, you're going to start building up things like diseases. Uh, In terms of, you know, going maybe things that haven't gone that well, Canada thistle is nobody's friend. And it does appear on organic farms. It is something that people need to take really seriously. It's, it's one of the most devastating weeds. So I remember talking to a farmer in North Dakota who had farmed organically for 30 years on a rotation that had sweet clover every third year. Uh, the sweet clover has a feature of, it's a biennial. So you establish it in year one and it overwinters and it allows you to avoid fall tillage one year. And after so many decades of doing this, that lack of fall tillage had, allowed the Canada thistle to get established, and it did also coincide with the wet period in that part of the world, and so Canada thistle became just an absolute nightmare for that farmer. You know, diversifying to ensure that you can manage your your perennial weeds is something I've seen some farmers do really well. The one story that always comes to my mind that I tell my students is these farmers in Quebec who actually purpose-built some tillage equipment so they could control their uh, red clover in one pass, which was pretty exciting. That demonstrates, okay, how did I get to that example from Canada thistle? Well, to deal with Canada thistle, it's very good to have something like red clover in the rotation, even if it's a very short-term stand. It provides competition for the weed, and then you don't want to over-till the soil to remove that perennial and so they came up with that solution for themselves. I, I thought it was a really interesting integrated approach. And then maybe the final thing is just nutrients. We we talk a lot about phosphorus and organic agriculture, and, and phosphorus can eventually become a limiting nutrient, but the most limiting nutrient in my experience on farms is nitrogen. And it becomes limiting because there's not enough intense legume growth in the system. And that that's something that we struggle with. I think on organic farms, um, how to make those legumes pay. One method is to is to use grazing to manage the legumes. So you're not just growing the legume as a so-called green manure. You're actually, and, and not getting any revenue from it, but you're actually deriving some revenue by grazing it. And grazing legumes um, with ruminants, uh, most of those nutrients are going right back on the ground through the animal. And so that that's been a Something that we've been talking about for a long time, I'm seeing some organic farmers doing it and uh, and learning from it. And I think we're learning alongside them. Yeah, and it's been a lot of fun getting onto organic farms. As you know, it's always a learning experience for the researcher. It's, you know, you come with a particular question, preconceived notion, and you leave with complete new knowledge. <laughs> it's a lot of fun.
1: And new questions. Yeah,
0: yeah, always new questions. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for that. Um, so if there's any farmers out there who happen to be listening to this podcast that are actually considering a transition to organic farming, based on your own field studies, what agronomic advice could you give them to get started?
0: The pre-transition period is something that they, would, they should consider. That's one piece of advice I would give them. Think about the land on which you're going to be growing crops organically or raising animals organically. So if that land has some of the challenges that are going to come back to haunt you, like low phosphorus or low potassium if you're on a sandy soil or uh, heavily infested with Canada thistle or quackgrass or field bindweed, heaven forbid, then deal with those things before you transition. Give yourself a, a good chance. So in my diploma class, you know, students are surprised. They go, oh, you're, you're telling us to use herbicides. And I say, well, you know, set yourself up for success. Um, so before you transition, get, get your house in order. Uh, then, you know, selecting the worst field is a bad idea. People are reluctant to select their best fields for organic production. But uh, I do know of one organic farmer who started off on a thistle-infested field, and, and that problem hasn't gone away. It's probably maybe not gotten a lot worse, but it, it causes that person a lot of challenge. Uh, then also the knowledge uh, you need, um, visit organic farms, go on farm tours, talk to other organic farmers, find resources, talk to your provincial uh, government specialists, um, agronomists who've who've supported organic farmers, I think that's really important. And then I think also ask yourself whether you're up for the challenge. So you're gonna have struggles, and you know, is this something that you really want to do? What, what are your motivations? I don't know, Laura, I'll, I'll just flip this back to you. I'll, I'll, give, I'll share some of my thoughts on, on what are the motivations for somebody getting involved in organic farming, but then I'd also be curious you know, how you felt about those. You know, I have a little slide that I show sometimes and I go, well, you know, one of the motivations is you've got farm succession where the next generation wants to farm, but they might want to farm organically. Uh, or people are concerned about the environment, or people just want to make more money, or people have had a family member who's ill, or people are just curious learners and they're up for the challenge. It, it is good to check the check, see how many of those boxes check, work out for you. And I don't know how you feel about that, that that sort of psychology of the transition uh, strategy.
1: Well you touched on something that I, I've I've been working with organic producers for close to twenty years now and I see them most at the start of the cycle. So when they make that decision or are making that decision to go organic and they want some ingredients to to make a better uh, business decision. What I've seen is something that you mentioned, which is I talk to a lot of dads, sometimes moms as well. You see them at trade shows and they're thinking about... Farm succession, so they're thinking about how to leave a successful enterprise to the next generation, and they often think about organic. So it tends to, it often tends to be the, those parents that are asking the questions, and not necessarily uh, the next generation that's actually going to implement the change. So I've found that interesting over the years.
0: <laughs> that that is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's that's sort of the opposite of what. Where my brain went. It, uh, it
1: may be the kid who plants the seed, um, but it, it's dad that kind of takes it to mm-hmm. the next step. Mm-hmm. So, what do we need to do? There are very practical questions. How much land do I need? Do I need to do this all at once? You know, do mm-hmm. I need to go organic, cold turkey? And I've also seen differences, especially in Manitoba, since I've started out here. Um, At the beginning, we saw farmers transition marginal lands. And it's something that you said, uh, Martin, triggered this in me. And now we're really switching away from transitioning marginal land into agriculture. In fact, uh, with the conventional farmers, they choose their best land to start. So maybe it's your advice over the years, and they tend to be the most successful. So, so I agree with Martin. Don't don't uh, start with marginal land. Start with your best field, and maybe just start with one field. Go slow. There's nothing to say that you have to transition all your acres at once in order.
0: Yeah, and sometimes the infrastructure on the farm is set up for that. You might have some some smaller hopper-bottom bins or other bins that you have that you can easily segregate one field of organic product onto. Yeah, those are all wise words. Here's another question for, you know, another... Observation that I've made and is that some people are really interested in marketing, and there you know there's people who market for international markets and they're really good at that. And there's also some people who are really entrepreneurial and start producing some kind of food product on their farm, like they may have a flour mill, for example. And we've we've seen that. And then uh, you know they're milling organic flour, and and then they start buying organic grain from neighbors or from the market and start becoming a processor you know I' I've, I think that's uh, really interesting the organic then became kind of a gateway into a new enterprise that somebody might have been well suited for
1: for sure I, I think that it can be a gateway both organic and uh, value added agriculture i.e. food processing are by their nature adding value so they're they're similar and I do find that a lot of organic producers have what it takes to go to the next step and and, and get into the business side and maybe they tend to be more entrepreneurial because they're just to be an organic farmer you are overcoming a lot of barriers. So you have a particular person Personality to start with, I think. So, so I think that is a good fit. And also on the food side, especially on the local food side, we're seeing a consumer switch towards organic, sustainable, natural, all that stuff. So it makes sense that it's organic producers that are taking those next steps into value-added food.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and there are some certainly in you know communities everywhere in rural Canada where you. You have these success stories, and it's amazing what people can do when they, you know, put some creativity behind some processing. And, and uh, wh- one, other, one other thought um, that, uh, that I share with my students is that if you are in an area that has a lot of livestock, looking, for example, at southeastern Manitoba, uh, which is, you know, lots of poultry and hogs, there's actually nutrients available there for organic farming. And um, the, the numbers that we've crunched look at you know the, the value of that manure is much, more, much greater in an organic system. So you're really spinning up the economic value of the manure when you can use it to sustain an organic system, as opposed to just looking at trying to dispose of it or you know, doing some land swapping or whatever. And that, I think, has influenced the student audience the most they go, I never thought of that. I never thought of that, you know, those lagoons of hog manure, which I might be able to use uh, in my organic system if I follow, you know, if, if they follow the certain animal care regulations as something that I can add value to. So there are, uh, there are also, I think, on your question of transition, I think where you are located can make a difference in terms of what type of organic agriculture you might get into or um, whether you'll even consider it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It really helps to have a hog barn next door. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.